For Inside Carolina, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this is a new podcast to the Inside Carolina lineup up in the rafters where 2017 ACC Player of the Year National Champion Justin Jackson and myself will be talking about all things Carolina basketball. Before we get started, though, I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Be sure you subscribe to Inside Carolina wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube so you never miss out on any of the content the team at IC puts out. The support doesn't go unnoticed on this end. Speaking of support, we want to support the people that support us. So that's why I've got to mention our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. When it comes to Carolina Apparel, they have everything that you could possibly want. The T-Shirts, the jerseys, the hats, you name it, they will probably have it because it's great people and great customer service since it's locally owned and operated by alumni. You could visit them in person if you're going to be in Chapel Hill on Franklin Street or online at johnnytshirt.com. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. It's up in the rafters. As always, I'm joined by my guy, Justin Jackson. And Justin, before we get to UNC over this past week, I'm going to stall for a bit. I've got a question that the people want answered since All-Star Weekend is quickly approaching. If there was a three-point contest featuring yourself, your now teammate with the Suns, Cam Johnson, UNC's all-time three-point leader in Marcus Page, and then let's add... Let's add Coach Davis and let's add somebody like Wayne Ellington. So you just got snipers all around. Who's taking home the crown? Dang, bro. Um, That's tough. I mean, I always have confidence in myself, but when you put a group together like that, I mean, Cam Johnson is shooting the freaking crap out of the ball right now. (laughs) Coach Davis is like third all time in the league in three point percentage. Uh, Marcus, obviously, he can knock down shots. Ha, huh. I'm not even going to answer that question because I already know it's just going to get people on my heads. But I got to go with the most current. I'd probably say Cam. Cam is a freaking sniper. So I'd have to put Cam there. I'd like to see that just because I think everybody is such such gamers there where Cam might be the favorite coming in. He might be the betting favorite. All the money might be going on him. But, you know, I'm, I'm not counting out anybody from that group to, to take it hey, home. Who gets Competitive hot? spirit would yeah. kick in for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess the the other contest that's really popular during All-Star Weekend is is the dunk contest. So how about in a dunk contest, I'm putting Prime MJ, Prime Vince Carter. Let's go JP Tokato, who can jump his way out of a gym. And then you have to add Cole Anthony, who is in this year's version of the dunk contest. Kind of looking forward to seeing what he has in his bag. But who wins that Carolina dunk contest? It's all those guys have bounced, but you cannot go against half man, half amazing, bro. You can't. What he did in his career in the dunk contest that he was in, like, you can't go against that. So you got to go with VC. That's one where it's like the, the three-point shooting contest, anybody could kind of just get hot. The creativity, the bounce, you know, the it's, the, it's over. It's over. I'm going with that gif of Vince Carter. Uh, hard to go against him, but – we open the podcast on a light note because we have to talk about the Duke game for Carolina, where it's another matchup against a quality opponent. And Carolina is out of the game almost from the jump, losing 87 to 67, where 
They're now 0-7 this year in the quad one games, which is going to be a huge um, a huge factor in if this team even makes it to the NCAA tournament. What went so wrong for UNC in this game over the weekend so fast? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I wasn't able to watch the game live, um, but after watching the highlights um, and, you know, I think the number one thing um, is when you get started off so slow against a good team like that, it's going to be an uphill battle and it's going to be hard for the, the rest of the game. You know, at the end of the day, you know, as much as, you know, UNC fans and whoever want to don't want to admit it, Duke is one of the best teams in college basketball this year. And so when you're going into a game like that, knowing, you know, the firepower that they have, you have to play from the jump. You can you can't play from behind um, the entire game. So I think that was one thing. I think another thing is, you know, unfortunately, when you look at the play of the main players, um, when you look at the play of Caleb and RJ, um, bad games happen, right? Like it's basketball, bad games always happen. Um, but going into a game of that caliber, you really need the majority of your, your key players to really step up and play well. Um, and unfortunately they, they had bad games in that, during that game. And, you know, a guy like Griffin on the other side had a, had a freaking career game against him. And so I think there was a bunch of things, um, I think the number one thing that they have to always remember is just to compete, right? It doesn't matter if you're hitting shots, doesn't matter if things are going your way or whatever, just compete. Like that competitive spirit sometimes just keeps you in the game. Um, and so I think that's the one thing they have to always keep in mind is, you know what, we're going to go out here, whether we are on fire or we can't buy a, ba- buy a bucket, like we're going to continue to compete at all times. And I think it's sometimes their competitive spirit kind of wavers, just kind of watching from, from the outside. Um, so I think that's the one thing they need to make sure of. People question why Hubert Davis started the game with Armando Baycott on Paolo Banchero with Baycott picking up two early fouls. But we also saw in the second half when you switch a few of the matchups and you put Leaky on them, it's somebody like A.J. Griffin going off for a career high, like you mentioned, 27 points. Then you take it a step further when you're looking at both of these rosters kind of, and you're looking at like something as simple as a mock draft. Duke has uh, Bonchero, they have Trevor Keels, they have A.J. Griffin all projected uh, somewhere in the first round. And then you have a team like Carolina who right now it doesn't look like they have that much NBA talent. Can you explain why this matchup on paper is almost never going to be a good one for UNC having played at the highest level and knowing that sometimes the guy across from you, if LeBron James is across from you, you could, you could try to do everything you can, but at the end of the day, it's, it's LeBron James across from you. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's just uh, the game is a lot about matchups, right? And when you have a guy like Benchero, who is a, he's a matchup problem for everybody, right? He's 6'10", has guard skills, can play almost every position that causes issues, right? I think one thing you got to, you got to shout out Leaky for that second half of defense that he played on him. Um, You know, obviously he's going top three in the NBA draft next year if he leaves. So um, the defense that he played on him in the second half was great. Um, But the problem is when you switch, you know, a guy like Leaky onto him, Armando's got to guard somebody else and then Brady has to guard somebody else. So 
it just kind of causes some issues. And it's just, honestly, it's just matchup issues, right? I think back to um, the year that Carolina played against Texas A&M in the tournament, right? Like North Carolina was a great team that year, but they went up against two almost footers and Robert Williams. And then I can't remember the other guy's name that was, that was down there for A&M. But the matchup was just a tough matchup. You had a Luke May at, at the five, you know, playing, six, eight, six, nine against a footer. That's a lob threat, right? It's, it's just, it's, it's tough to play against that. So, you know, maybe you mix in a zone, you know, I don't, North Carolina has never really been a zone type defense. Um, but, you know, maybe you mix up a zone, maybe you mix up different looks to try to make, um, make their offense kind of, you know, think about what they need to be doing as opposed to just letting them find the mismatch and then go after that. Um, but, I mean, I think a part of it is just the talent that Duke has. You have to tip your hat to the talent that they have. You know, a guy like Benchero, Griffin, like those guys are, are problems when it comes to matchups. So, hopefully they can kind of, you know, figure it out. And, 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 you know, hopefully they've got games in between this game and the next one against Duke. But hopefully they can figure something out to kind of mix things up a little bit. Yeah, I love that matchups point because it, it always makes me think back to – both the 2016 and the 2017 UNC teams where I'm, I'm taking you guys almost up against anybody, but you know, Virginia's coming to town. <laughs> it's going to be a battle. I remember being at the 2016 ACC championship in DC against UVA in, in the final game. And it, that felt like a, a 12 round heavyweight sl- <laughs> slug fest where it was like, thank god we thank god you guys won that game and it's like how, how do you guys kind of flip your attention now to the tournament knowing that knowing the effort it took to uh, beat tony bennett and what he's trying to do in, in charlottesville um but yeah the it's always interesting to see the matchups and duke you like you mentioned you, you do have to kind of tip your hat for how well they do recruit and how much talent they're they're not only getting to Duke, but putting in the NBA. And you, you said if if uh, Bonchero leaves this year, he's going top three. Uh, I don't want to be the guy breaking the news, but I, I can almost guarantee he's gone. <laughs> hey, look, I'm just – I'm going to play the politically correct and say if he leaves. Uh, but, yeah, he's – whether he leaves this year, next year, whenever, he's, he's definitely going to be a, a top three pick, no doubt. Yeah, and regardless of the matchups – you can from from the outside looking in, you can you can expect a loss um, when you're up against elite NBA talent like Duke has. But there's there there really isn't an excuse for how non-competitive Carolina has been in a majority of these losses this season. With that Duke game becoming the fourth game this season, the team has lost by 20 or more points, which hasn't happened since the 0102 UNC team that went eight and 20. Not the best company to be in when you're talking about the history of Carolina basketball. Then the frustrating part for fans and the program is that you watch a team like Virginia go into Cameron and then come out with a win. And you, you can't make the argument that Virginia is more talented than Carolina since Carolina kind of rolled over them earlier this season. So if you're Carolina, how can this team play more to that talent level? Because something is going to have to change if this team wants to accomplish anything of significance when you mention the the potential of postseason play. 
Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, even going back to like the team having, you know, more NBA talent or more talent, right. I even think back to our year in 2017, I mean, we had great players and guys that are making money overseas and guys that are, you know, making a good, you know, a good living off of basketball. But if you really look at our matchup, even against Duke, like Duke had Jason Tatum, they had Luke Kennard. Uh, I think Emil Jefferson played in the league for like a year or two. Um, they had guys that, you know, were in the NBA. And then you look at our team and, you know, it was me. Now Theo's on a two-way. Um, and other than that, I guess Tony, Tony right? Yeah. Um, but if you really look at it, they had more NBA talent than we than we had on our team. And so I think the the hardest thing is, is, and I think it's kind of been the argument all season, right? Like this team has talent. Like it's it's – you can't debate that they do not have talent, right? They have guys that can play the game of basketball very well. It's that competitiveness that I feel like has to be brought up to that talent level. Um, you know, when you have guys like Caleb Love, you have guys like RJ, Armando, you know, I still, you know, I think overall the last few games, the one thing that I have to give credit to is Leaky and how he's played the last few weeks, right? When you have guys that are talented in their position, your competitive spirit has to be there every single game, right? And, and when you see games, you know, losing by 20 and all of your losses or most of your losses, like that's more than just a talent issue, right? Like I've seen very, like not talented teams not lose by 20 points, right? It's, okay, are we going into this game to compete? Are we going into this game because we want to win um, or are we going into this game for the wrong reasons, right? Are we going into the game to get our own, try to get our average, you know, get my double, double, you know, what, it, whatever it might be, they have to keep that at all times. Um, and I think if they can do that, like I said, it, it's, they have the talent to make a run, but if you don't have, you know, the heart and the drive to, to win games with that talent, Talent can only take you so far. So I think that's that's really what they have to focus on. Yeah, and then the the other question I had kind of from that Duke game for you is the – well, to set it up a bit, the only player for Carolina who came out looking ready to keep Carolina in this game with his offense, especially in the first half, was Brady Manick. However, the challenge with Manic is always going to be on the defensive end where his matchup Griffin goes off with relative ease. You look at the Miami game, it's kind of been a trend for him. Wardenberg uh, averages 7.8 points per game. He scores 21. Wake Forest, LaRavia averages 15.1. He scores 31. And then, like we mentioned, Griffin, who averages 9.5 points per game, scores 27. You for this Carolina team, there's there's no question they need Manic in this game for his offense and his ability on that end of the floor. But if you're Carolina, what can you do to potentially hide him or help him on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think um, a part of that definitely goes on Brady, right? Like Brady has to take the matchup serious, not, you know, when he goes into a game, whether it's a guy that averages seven or it's a guy that, you know, has been hot going into the game. Like he has to take that as, okay, this is my matchup. I'm going to do everything I can to try to stop him or at least slow him down. 
Um, Cause like you said, they have to have Brady. Like Brady is a part of their offense that they have to have. Um, I think another part of it is, and this kind of goes to kind of the overall like look of the team. There has to be a, a group effort on defense, right? And whether their defense is a deny defense, pressure defense, whatever, sometimes you have to make up for the issues and the problems that are being caused by maybe one guy guarding the ball, right? Like you have to be able to cover up if AJ Griffin drives right past Brady Manic, you have to be able to say, okay, I'm coming in because I'm going to help. I'm going to help my teammate. Right. And if they kick it out or they swing, swing the ball again, make another great play, then so be it. But I'm not going to leave my man, my teammate just out to dry. Um, and so I think that that kind of has to be like a, a mindset just throughout the game. Like if, if a guy is able to hold his own, then cool, he's on his own. But if they start seeing that, you know, A.J. Griffin starts getting going or, um, you know, Laravia starts getting going, it's like, OK, like, let's 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 help him out a little bit. We're not just going to let him scored on four straight times and not come over and help um but I mean a lot of that goes on to coach whatever coach Davis's defensive schemes are you know and and for us we're just kind of on the outside kind of given like our insight but whatever coach says like those are the schemes that they're playing in and that's what they've got to do sometimes in these losses where you know you put so much emotion into the game like like a Duke game it's easy to let a bad loss beat you twice, but Carolina responds on the road and finds a way to beat Clemson. It wasn't pretty at times, but what were your biggest takeaways watching that game? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, because I'm, because we're doing a podcast and I'm not a coach or a player, I can talk about the referees a little bit. Um, I, I, I'm just going to be completely honest. There was some bad officiating going on in that game um, on both sides. Like it was, it was just some, it was some bad calls, man. Um, but that was one take, bro. You know, that's one of those things where it's like you, you tell your team you got to keep playing through it, keep playing through it. But sometimes those guys in black and white can affect the game in ways that you can't really play through. Um, I think it was a little sloppy. You know, I think their 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 play was a little, uh, you know, it wasn't a collective unit necessarily. But I think, like you said, at the same time, it's hard to get blown out and to get your mind back right to go back out there and play, you know, and get a win. And even though it was ugly, all of them are going to be pretty, right? They're not all going to be pretty. But the fact that they were able to buckle down at the end of that game and get a bucket at the end of the game to get the win, sometimes you just, you know what, we'll take it, right, and we'll move on. Um, and so you got you to give them some credit as far as just making the plays down, down the stretch they need to make. Um, but they got to clean it up just a little bit. This game and the Louisville game, it's 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 almost more surprising at this point when the referees are good. <laughs> and I forget what coach I was either talking to or I heard say this, but they said uh, 99% of refs are good. I just happen to get the 1% every time. <laughs> Man, the tough, you know, the tough thing is even even though I'm sitting here saying it was some bad refereeing, the tough thing about a referee, man, the referee is never right, ever, right? Somebody's One gonna side, be mad. Yeah, everybody, somebody's gonna be mad. Like, but I don't know. I think there's just times when I watch it, and whether it's like the referee is trying to have some power or 
whatever it is, at the end of the day, referees, like people aren't there to watch the referees, right? They're just not like as much as we appreciate you and we need you in the game of basketball, like they're not here to watch you. So, um, you know, and maybe they just had it. Maybe they had an off day. You know what I'm saying? Just like players have off days, referees can have off days. Maybe that, like you said, maybe it was that 1% that had an off day that night. Right. So, you know, I, I don't know, but I'm glad that they were able to fight through it and, and make a play down the stretch. You, you say that the uh, the fans and everybody there aren't there to watch the referees, but TV, TV, Teddy Valentine, he, he's never gotten that message. Everybody you're paying price of admission to see him, him perform, but you're, you're a nice guy. What's, what's the most mad you've ever been at a ref in a game? Um, in college, I never really got too mad to be honest. Um, I think honestly this year playing in the G league for a little bit, I think that's probably the most that I've gotten irritated. Um, because just like the G league is considered a developmental league, like the referees, it's also like, they're trying to make their way up to the NBA or, you know, trying to, trying to get there. And so there's, there's a lot of times, but I mean, I, I've, I haven't gotten a technical, um, ever I've got, I got one technical in high school, man. And it was, uh, it was a fluke technical, to be honest with you. Um, a misunderstanding. You know, I, was, I was talking a little loud to my coach. You know, I was talking about the ref a little loud to my coach, but I was talking to my coach. I wasn't talking to the referee. They they weren't a part of the conversation. Um, Eavesdropping. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Nosy. <laughs> you know what I mean? But uh, but yeah, I haven't I haven't uh, I haven't gotten too crazy with the with the refs, but I've I've seen some players that that they they just can't take it anymore, man. They gotta let them know. In that Clemson game, Caleb Love was pretty big down the stretch for Carolina, making a couple of big plays late, especially the the last play of the game where he drives and dumps it down to Brady Manick for the game-winning basket. What do you think it says about Caleb Love's mental toughness to to make those plays late at the end despite having five turnovers, uh, another so-so shooting night, and it, it was a moment where he easily could have gotten in, in his head for some of the, the plays he had earlier. Um, I mean, I think it says a lot. I think it says like his maturity has been, um, you know, he's still maturing in ways that maybe last year or even earlier in the season, um, you know, he wouldn't have made that drop off pass. You know, maybe he would have tried to finish. Um I think, I think for me, if I were to give, because I've been in the same situations that, you know, guys like Caleb Love or whoever have been in, right? Like the one thing I would tell him is just go hoop. Like just go play the game of basketball that you've played for 19 years of your life, right? Because at the end of the day, the more free and the more like not thinking that Caleb Love can play, the better he's going to be at all times. Um, and for this team to go where I think they can go, he has to play that way, right? He has to play with a free mind. He has to play, not worrying about if he misses this shot or if he turns the ball over here, you know, and and I think when players play that way, they end up not turning the ball over. They end up hitting more shots, right? Because the game of basketball, when you think too much, Ooh, it's hard to, it's hard to do some things out there on the court. And so, That'd be my one thing to Caleb is like, man, just go who, like, go be you, go be Caleb Love. And 
when you're Caleb, we've seen it, you know, throughout this season. When he's Caleb Love, he's a pretty good player, right? And, and he leads this team and gets this team to where they need to go. And, you know, I think if he can do this kind of down this stretch and kind of lead this team through this next stretch of games, um, then they could find themselves in a place where they, they want to be. One of, you, you mentioned kind of freeing up Caleb Love um, from like a, a mental perspective. And one of the ways that I think Hubert Davis is trying to do that is lighten the mood in the huddle. And there were a couple of quotes from his post-game press conference against Clemson that I wanted to share with you um, where he, he says in the huddle, they were a little out of control and I was trying to calm them down and just say, look, guys, we've been in this situation before just last week. I made a joke to them. I said, look, guys, all we need to do is score and get a stop and we win. Let's win this game in regulation so we can get home at a good hour of the night. And then when he was talking to Caleb Love, his final instructions to him, he said, um, if you want to make a shot, you're allowed to make one. I give you permission to score. And then he said, I, I just make a play. If you're open, shoot the ball and make it. If somebody is open, just make a pass. How big is that for this team that they do have somebody like Coach Davis trying to lighten the mood where when basketball is a game where those late game situations can get really hectic and really stressful. Yeah. I mean, I think that's huge. And that's just coach Davis being coach Davis, right? He was always like that, even as an assistant, Um, you know, and I think that's big for, for the team, whenever you have the guy at the helm, keeping everybody calm um, and keeping everybody collected kind of, through those times that maybe are, you know, the team's making a run or, you know, it's the end of the game, we're down down one or whatever, and we got to go win the game. Um, and I think the team should feed off of that, right? Because if, you're, if your head coach is talking like that and acting like that, then why, why put pressure on yourself to go out there and do something that you, you know, probably have done a million times? Why are you going to put pressure on yourself to go do that? You know, I think that's what they have to do. And I think you've seen it in games. You've seen it against NC State, right? You've seen it where they go out there and they're just hooping. Like, like there's, they're just playing basketball. You know, all the X's and O's, all that kind of stuff. Obviously, they have it in the back of their mind, like their schemes and things like that. But just the way the ball's moving, you know, the way they're making shots, the way they're playing defense, they're just out there playing basketball, right? They're not thinking about – you know, oh, I've missed the last two or three shots. Oh, I've got two bad turnovers. Oh, my man just got past me, right? They're, they're just on to the next play. And when they play like that, they look pretty good, right? Like that talent starts to show through a little bit. And hopefully they can continue to try to work on that mentality of let's just go hoop, right? Let's just go play basketball and let, let's, you know, let's try to get to where we want to be. We'll see how Carolina does responding to their latest win on the road at Clemson with the team heading back to Chapel Hill. They play Saturday, 2 p.m. against Florida State in the Dean Dome, and then they also play Wednesday, 8 p.m. against Pittsburgh, still in Chapel Hill. Justin, we'll be back next week to break it all down, but always appreciate the time. Always a pleasure, brother.